If you want to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1, there'll be some good bleeding between Tim and I's message this morning. I appreciate that. Joshua chapter 1 is where our text will be this morning. Have you ever wanted to know the secret behind someone's success? Maybe it was a professional athlete and you wonder, how did they get so fast or how did they get so skilled at their sport? What was their secret? Or maybe it's the marketing strategy of a CEO. What is their secret? Or maybe it's just how Mrs. Put Together always has a clean home. And with four kids, what's their secret? You know, I've come to realize over the years that most of the times those secrets really aren't secrets at all. I tend to resonate with the fitness examples. I was a physical therapist for three years before coming here, if you didn't know. And probably the most popular question there is out there is, what is the secret to having a healthy body weight? Or what is the secret further to, to losing weight to have a healthy body weight? But I'll tell you, you already know the answer. So when I tell you that you need to, on a consistent basis, let's say a daily basis, consume less calories than you burn, no one's mind was just blown. And if I tell you, you can help that with having a healthy diet to control the calories coming in and to exercise regularly to burn more calories, that's not new information. It's not mysterious, it's not complicated, but it's difficult. That's really why we intend to call things a secret. Joshua, when we come to Joshua chapter 1, is in an amazingly difficult situation. For the past 40 years, the Israelites have been wandering through the wilderness, and they tried to come into Canaan the first time, but it didn't work. And the man that was supposed to bring them into the land, Moses, in the fourth quarter with 30 seconds to go, dies. And now Joshua has to come up off the bench. And further than that, he doesn't really know the team that he's working with. These people are a whole new crop that left Egypt, and he doesn't know how they're going to react. And further than that, the enemy is seemingly impossible to conquer. They're bigger and they're stronger, and while the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness, they've been fortifying their cities. And so to the world's eyes, this is quite literally a suicide mission. But Joshua was successful. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43, beginning. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Joshua was successful. So what was the secret? Well, in one word, we could probably sum it up with faith. But how did he develop that faith? How did he grow in his faith? What was the secret behind his faith? Well, let's begin at the beginning. Joshua chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do 
according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's interesting how God speaks to Joshua about the land. I don't know if any of you have experienced this. That's a trust fall. And uh, what's happening is that person up on the platform, they're supposed to just trust the people below as they fall backwards into the air to catch them. And if they're getting a little bit nervous, what might happen is someone on the ground might say, look, just, just imagine you're already here. Imagine you're already in my arms. You're already with us. Just trust me. That's exactly what God is doing with Joshua. I've already given you the land, Joshua. It's yours for the taking. Just trust me. But notice he gives them some instructions with that. Yes, the land is yours, but you need to do some things. There are some conditions on that. And they weren't complicated, but they weren't going to be easy. So what I want to do is I want to focus in on verse 8, and we'll look at three not-so-secret steps that Joshua took to develop his faith. And it all begins at the very beginning of verse 8. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. The first place that God points Joshua is to his Bible. Can we appreciate the significance of that, given the circumstances? The enemy that was bigger and stronger and seemingly impossible to conquer, God says, look to the book of the law. Do we look to God's word first, even when things seem impossible? I want to ask you, think about the biggest trial, the biggest challenge in your life right now. Do you believe God's word is sufficient to handle that? Or do you need something else? I'm afraid too many times in my own life that when the proverbial bills are piling up, I tend to grab the credit card long before the book. That's not what God wanted Joshua to do. And so what did, what did he want him to do with this book of the law? First, he told Joshua to meditate on the word, but you shall meditate on it day and night. I don't know about you, but when you think of meditate, uh, I think about this guy, right, the monk. Uh, even if that's not the case, I think it's pretty clear from our culture today. What, what is taught is meditation is this. You need to get the world outside of your mind. You need to get the distractions out of your head. And the way to do that is by emptying your mind. And so the best way to do that is really to have some solidarity, right? The monk on the temple, it's pretty nice because the world's really far away from him. That is not the biblical definition of meditation. What the Bible will tell us is that in order to get the world out of our mind, to get distractions out of our mind, we need to fill our mind with the Word of God. It's a little bit more active than passive. It's really interesting, the, the word that's used here, translated meditate, it's the Hebrew word hagah. And it's translated several different ways. Sometimes it will be translated mutter or groan or utter kind of weird, right? But because of passages like this and because of that word, some scholars think that it was a practice of the ancient Israelites to softly speak scripture to themselves. They would kind of say it under their breath constantly, and that's how they would meditate on the word. So now walking down the path or cleaning fish or threshing the wheat now becomes an opportunity to meditate, see? And actually, it, their culture was really pretty conducive to meditating because they didn't carry a Bible around with them. 
You see, the word would be spoken to them, and in order for them to bring the word home with them, they needed to meditate on it. Do you think our culture is conducive to meditating on the word? Our society gives us all kinds of options to fill our free time. Uh, on one end of the spectrum, if you have any free time, here is all kinds of entertainment. You have a few seconds, here's TikTok. A few minutes, YouTube. A few hours, Netflix. And you need a way to do that? Well, you got an iPhone, an iPad, an iMac, an iWatch, eyeglasses. I don't know if they made those yet. Yeah, so you got options. But, but on the other end of the spectrum, maybe the more noble side of our society says, well, if you got a decent amount of free time, what you really need to do is start a side hustle and make some more money because that's how you become successful. When Joshua had a free moment, some free time if he ever did during the conquest, he was not starting a side hustle or checking social media. Do you know why? Because he was in a war. We don't need to look at Canaan, the land of Canaan and the people inhabiting it and make that a parallel to heaven. It's a parallel to our life. There was always a battle. There was always an enemy to fight in the land of Canaan. I was so appreciative of our VBS this summer. It was a message that I needed to hear. That wasn't just for the kids. And I remember it was the first week or two I was here, Jordan was giving a sermon, and he was speaking about our enemy. And he made the comment that our enemy wants every single one of us, even our precious little babies. And I immediately looked to my left, to my then one-month-old daughter, Raina, and I about lost my breath. Because even though Lucy and I have been praying for Raina's heart, for her to seek God, and for us to have wisdom to lead her to God, I have to admit to you, I had never specifically considered the enemy and his desire for her. Parents, make no mistake, your kids were born into a war zone, into a battlefield. And if we take every single little free moment, every single little free minute and chalk that up to me time and spend it on phones and devices and social media on whatever else and keep the meditating on the word for Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, we are not preparing them for battle. Joshua was a leader and the people were looking to him. And God wanted his leader to meditate. A couple passages that I think helps us kind of fill out this idea of this word Haggah, I think are helpful. One comes from Isaiah chapter 31. The scene in Isaiah 31 is God is speaking through Isaiah to the people of Israel, and his message is, I am stronger than the nations. In the context, I'm stronger than Egypt, so don't lean on them, and I'm stronger than Assyria, so don't worry about them. And notice how he paints the picture in verse 4. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. The point, the lion isn't scared of the shepherds. God's the lion, the nations are the shepherds. But notice the way he sets the picture. The lion is standing over its prey and shepherds are yelling at him. What are shepherds shepherd? The lion is standing over a lamb that it is already caught and started to consume, and now it is standing over that lamb and growling. Our word Hagah is growl. And maybe it's a growl of confidence, of shouting at the shepherd, stay away, or maybe it's more something like a purr of contentment after eating the meal. Have you ever seen a lion eat something? Uh, they don't bring a linen napkin and dab the corners of their mouth or use a fork and a knife. No, they dig into their prey. They consume it layer by layer, piece by piece, and they get it down into them, and then they can haggah. 
You get the picture that's happening here? What, what God is trying to tell Joshua in Joshua 1.8? Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Dig into my word, Joshua. Layer by layer, piece by piece, get it inside of you. And even then when the Canaanites are screaming at you, you can stand in confidence and contentment. Meditate on my word. Another place I think is helpful is, is right at the beginning of the Psalms. Psalm 1, 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Meditates day and night. Our word is meditates here. If the only reason we study our Bibles is because a preacher or a parent tells us, we are never going to be ready to conquer our Jerichos. Why did the psalmist meditate on the word? Because he delighted in it. When you delight in something, you don't have to be told. The lion doesn't have to be told to go catch the lamb. It's just natural. But, but, the lion still has to learn how to hunt. I'm willing to bet this morning that there are some here who have never or maybe currently don't truly delight in your Bible study. And since we're speaking about secrets, let me tell you one. That was me up until pretty recently. Most of my life, most of my Christian life, I didn't truly delight in studying God's Word. And I'm growing in that every day, every day. But if that's you, if you're in that category this morning, don't think that that means you're broken, don't think that that means you don't belong here, but also don't think it's not a problem and not something that you can work on. And I'm just going to give you one piece of advice. We could talk at length on this, but just one piece of advice if that's you this morning. Talk with someone that does. Find someone that does delight in the Word. That you can tell by their actions, by their posts, by what they say, that they truly delight in God's Word. And just talk with them about it. It's not a place of shame or embarrassment. Look, if they truly delight in the Word, they will be more than happy to help you. We need to delight in God's Word. We need to meditate on it. But it, we tend not to do that um, for a couple reasons. Number one, we're busy, right? I'm busy, you're busy, we're all busy. Um, but if we think that I have so much coming at me every day, I don't have time to meditate on God's Word, you have it completely backwards. Because you have so much coming at you every day, you need to meditate on God's Word. And the other thing I, I might anticipate is you might be hearing, okay, Jansen, we need to meditate. You're talking about this. You're telling me. But how? I don't know how to meditate. And to that, I would say you probably do. I would go to bet that most of us actually are very experienced in meditation and are really pretty good at it. We just don't call it that. Is anyone here ever worried about something? What did you do when you woke up in the morning? Thought about the problem. What did you do when you drove to work? Thought about the problem. What did you do when you ate lunch? Thought about the problem. What did you do when your spouse talked to you that night? Thought about the problem. What did you do before you went to bed? Day and night, we meditated on that. We don't need the perfect app or the perfect five-step process to meditate on God's Word. We simply need to increase our concern. How worried are we about God's Word? God wants us meditating on His Word. The second thing that God speaks to Joshua about is putting the Word into action so that you may be careful to do. You see, th these steps kind of build on one another. And while it begins in meditation, it cannot end there. Real quick, what do you think Joshua was meditating on? Probably not the laws about, um, you know, 
don't mix fabrics in your clothes and trim your beard just right. No, probably more so the promises of success that God had already promised the people. And we've been talking about this whole morning so far. We need to focus on those promises. We need to meditate on them, yes. But I'm afraid too many times people stop there. They take so much comfort in thinking God has promised me victory over my enemies, but they never start marching. It begins with meditation, but it cannot end there. Meditation is not the end goal. Listening to sermons every week is not the end goal. Taking the right type of notes is not the end goal. Having the right Bible material is not the end goal. The end goal is doing the will of the Father, of putting it into action. That's what God wanted Joshua to do. And the fact is that he had a promise of the land is yours. I promise you this. Everywhere your foot trods is yours, but he had to put his foot there. Every morning, Joshua had a decision to make. He had to wake up and strap on his sandals and go get his feet dirty. And every morning, we have the same decision to make. Are we going to fight for our God? We need to be on the offensive. You'll, you'll read several times throughout the narrative that Joshua woke up early in the morning to go meet the battle. He didn't wait for the Canaanites to come to him, and he didn't wait for somebody else to go. He led the way. How easy is it for us to think? There is this person, this leader, this person that's stronger than me, this preacher, this elder, my spouse. They're fighting. They can take the first step. No, brothers and sisters. It's all our responsibilities to fight, to be on the offensive. Um, but maybe why we don't do that? <laughs> Sometimes it's scary. You think Joshua was ever scared when he was looking up at the walls of Jericho? Sometimes we know someone that needs to hear the gospel, but we're scared about how they'll react. Sometimes we know we need to miss work to be with someone or at something, but we don't know how the boss will react. Some of us weren't blessed with growing up in a Christian home. And becoming a Christian means I don't know how my family's going to react. That's scary. But Joshua was courageous. <laughs> he had courage to do it God's way. I think we tend to put the Superman cape on Joshua. Let's not do that. He had to have courage. Remember, the last leader that was supposed to take the Israelites into the land died, right? The Israelites still live on. God's plan lives on, but the leader doesn't necessarily get to live. Remember the first battle that Joshua was in at Rephidim? They were fighting the Amalekites, and Moses' arms had to be held up. Or, you know, if they fell, they started losing. Do you know what that insinuates? Sometimes Moses' arms fell, and Joshua was the commander of the army. That means people were dying around Joshua. They still won the battle. God gave them victory. But that doesn't mean you get to live necessarily. Joshua had to have courage to do this. And something I think that helped him is that he made his mind up before the battle ever got there. Joshua didn't decide to follow God that morning that he marched on Jericho. That decision came a long time before that. And friends, today is the day. We need to make up our minds before the battle gets here that we are going to serve our God. The final thing that God instructs Joshua in here is to follow the word completely according to all that is written in it. That means Joshua was going to have to do that when it was uncomfortable. Think with me for a second. If he had done all the instructions to a T that God gave him of marching around Jericho, and, you know, he's got the priest in place and the men of war and the whole bit, and they're just about to march, but then he's like, you know, this whole Ark of the Covenant thing, I mean, it's going to kind of weigh us down, and 
I don't want the Canaanites to think we're like idol worshipers or something, so let's just leave that thing behind. It'll be a whole lot easier for everybody. Didn't do that. Fact is, Joshua had a lot more uncomfortable things to do than just carry around an Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember what happened after Jericho? After they took down the great city? They come to the little puny city of Ai, or Ai. You know what happens? They lose. They get sent back to camp with their tail tucked between their legs. Do you remember why? Because Achan took some of the devoted things. And so God tells Joshua, he didn't know who it was yet, but he tells Joshua, you're going to sift the whole nation by tribe, by family, by man, and you're going to find the man. And when you do, you're going to stone him and burn him. Remember how Joshua addressed Achan when he found out it was him? And Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord of God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua called him a son. Do you think he delighted in stoning his son? God, let's just kick him out. Let's just tell him to go over the, back over the Jordan. Maybe they're bad swimmers and they'll perish that way. Right, but not this. Joshua followed completely, even when it's uncomfortable. There are elders that are shepherding this flock right now. And sometimes they're called to do some uncomfortable things. They're called to sever relationships of fellowship and rebuke. Don't think for a second they take any kind of delight in that. But they need to follow completely. Sometimes we're called as Christians to stay in a marriage when our spouse is unbelieving so that we might win them over. That we might win them over. It's hard. We're called to submit to authorities that don't earn our respect and sometimes are hostile to us. And even our King Jesus told us that if it means forsaking our own family, to follow him, we forsake them. We need to follow completely. Sometimes why we don't do that, I think, is maybe because when we do something like 95 or 99% right, it kind of feels right. Again, if Joshua had you know, done everything right, but then the sun was kind of getting low on that seventh day, and he's like, ah, let's just make six trips around and go ahead and blow the horns. It wouldn't have worked out so well. Right? Just imagine for me, for a second, if someone asked you to like re-landscape their front yard, and they're like, I want the whole bit done, bushes, flowers, pebble walkway, the whole thing, and you do it, and you do an amazing job, you know, you put the equipment up, and you're just kind of basking in the glory of it all, but then you realize, ooh, there was that one little root ball behind that bush over there, and she told me to pull them all up, but, but now that the bush is there, you can't even, you're not even going to see it. They'll never even know. Is there a root ball behind a bush somewhere in your life right now? We don't need to leave things undone. And I think the antidote to that comes in Philippians. One of the passages we're going to turn to. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3 real quickly with me. Philippians is an amazingly positive letter that Paul writes. And the main reason he writes it is to thank the Philippian church for the gift that they sent him. And he's not thankful for the gift, not for the money, but the fact that they wanted to further the gospel. That's what he's thankful for. And the idea picks up here in verse 8. Indeed, I counted everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Drop down to verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Note verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me, has made me his own. 
Paul said, I have not already obtained this. He, he, he's not considering, am I saved, am I not? And that's not the point. The point is, I'm not done yet. And this is Paul, four or five years before he dies, who's done more for the kingdom than this whole room combined. It's not a competition, it's just a fact. And Paul says, I have not already obtained this. Christians, please, please, I don't care if you're 20 or you're 40 or you're 70, don't be content with your service. Don't leave things undone. Joshua did not. He followed the Lord completely. So yes, we meditate, we act, and we're careful. And what does all that lead to? For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. The instructions weren't complicated, uh, but they weren't going to be easy either. And because of that, we really need to finish with the next verse, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How does that, how does that strike you? If you were walking on the street today and someone told you, the Lord God is with you, How'd you take that? Or what if they asked you, is the Lord God with you? Is he walking with you? Would you kind of think, eh, it's kind of superficial, kind of fluffy? That's not how Joshua took it. These were the most comforting words that God ever spoke to Joshua. Joshua, I am with you. Every step of the way. We don't need to get, again, the wrong idea about Joshua. He didn't have, like, this 24-hour access to the Father, like some portal hooked up to him all the time. No, God spoke a little bit more directly to Joshua, but sometimes he spoke to him, and then sometimes he stopped. <laughs> Joshua didn't see God walking with him every step of the way, but God said he would, and so he believed it. Do we believe it? I mean, really, do we believe it? I didn't get up here this morning to try to guilt you into meditating more or acting better or being more careful. The fact is Joshua didn't have success because he was the best at meditating. He did all these things and he needed to do those things. Those things were essential, but why? Why did he do them? Because he knew that he needed God on his side. That's the secret. That's the secret. We need God on our side. even for when it feels impossible. You see what that can do for us? There's no way I can fix this marriage. I've tried everything. The only way to break down this hate, to break down this hurt, is to divorce, even if I had the best counselor in all of Texas on my side. Brothers and sisters, don't forget who is on your side. I have tried to beat this addiction to this substance to this website, to this habit, and I've tried it and I've tried it and I just can't do it, so I'm going to give up. Don't forget who's on your side. I cannot beat the secret sin. I'm just going to hide it under the ground. Don't forget who's fighting for you. Christianity is not a hobby. And going to God is not a last-ditch effort when everything else has failed. Christianity is our only plan for success. We're going to end on this thought. Sometimes you can see the battle, the trial coming from far off. You can kind of see it developing. Other times you wake up and life 
kicks you right in the teeth. And if God is not on your side, it will leave you there on the ground. Because sometimes you wake up and you're told that there's a mass on your colon. And sometimes you wake up and you're told that your newborn daughter is declining. Her organs are failing. A few weeks ago, Lucy's brother Alex, out of the blue, was diagnosed with end-stage liver cirrhosis, stage four liver cirrhosis. He's never abused drugs or alcohol. Alex is 30 years old. That's not supposed to happen. Where's the success in that? How is he not supposed to be defeated or destroyed by that? Let me tell you something. He's not destroyed. You know why? Because Alex is a Christian. And he knows, he knows that God is on his side. Living and breathing is not the real battle. Having faith, being faithful. That's a battle that Alex can win no matter what happens. It's a battle that we can win too. We're going to sing a song. We call this an invitation song. Um, the, the idea is that we're going to be praising God with this song and speaking to one another. But it's also an opportunity to respond to the message, to the word. Not my words, God's word. <laughs> if you need to do that, our custom is that you just walk to the front while we're singing. If you need our prayers, if you need any kind of help, if you realize that you need God on your side and you haven't taken that first step to become a Christian, we would love to help you with that. The song is No Tears in Heaven. It's one of Alex's favorites. And I know it means more to him now than it ever has. And God has promised us amazing things, like a home where there's no more death or pain or tears. And it's not complicated to get there, but it's not always easy. That's why we need God on our side. We have a home. Let's sing about it. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.